Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Draycott. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Steve onto the show. So, Steve, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Oh, thanks very much, Matt. It's nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. The pleasure is all mine. So, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've done until now? Yeah, sure. I'm Steve Drecott. I qualified as a physiotherapist back in 1986, which seems like a remarkably long time ago, because it is. Um, I've worked for ooh, the last 30 plus years easily uh, in lower limb rehab for the last 22 years now. I've been a, a clinical specialist in uh, knees. Um, I've worked with a, in a multidisciplinary clinic with a rheumatologist. We set up 21 years ago now. We set up a, a knee assessment clinic, which was predominantly for people with uh, chronic knee conditions, uh, and that was that was very useful. I uh, did that until uh, ooh, three, four years ago, and uh, I also set up ooh, 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, an e-injury clinic uh, in Leeds, uh, Leeds Teaching Hospitals, uh, which is a physio-led uh, knee clinic. And essentially, we, we sit, myself and uh, the colleagues that, that run it with me, uh, sit between the ED department, the emergency department, and the orthopedic surgeon. So anybody who comes in with a, an acute knee injury, uh, they'll refer into our clinic. The physios assess them, see what we want to do, and uh, we refer them off to the orthopedic surgeons if necessary. If not, then we'll hang on, let them refer to the physio, do whatever with them. Um, I, reti- I actually retired from uh, uh, being a full-time physiotherapist about two and a half years ago. Uh, since then, I'll still be doing some physiotherapy work in the hospital. I've done a little bit of private work, and I've also set up a, uh, set up a, a training course, a one-day post-grad training course for um, all sorts of uh, uh, medics, uh, physios, junior physios, uh, nurse practitioners, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in the UK, because um, I just enjoy talking to people and, and teaching them things, really. Uh, and that's that's pretty much where I am and what I'm doing. So you've been a, a busy man over the last years, um, and hopefully you can uh, teach us a little bit of uh, of knee information today. So we're we're going to discuss uh, squatting and, and lower body exercises. But firstly, especially why is lower body strengthening important for both general population and then uh, for athletes? Yeah, um, I mean, it's 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 important for everybody. And and because of the I suppose the people that I see, I see the people who are coming, uh, coming into a a clinical situation who have pathology. Um, And I look at those people and the vast majority of them uh, with knee pathology just have poor muscle strength. Uh, they have poor muscle strength, poor muscle control. Um, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. Uh, you know, what, what came first? Did their, did their pathology come first or did their, did their uh, lack of strength uh, come first? It's a, it's a bit of a mixed picture, really, I think, uh, to be quite honest with you. And certainly what the science says 
is that if you have uh, reduced muscle strength, reduced muscle function, it increases your risk of developing knee problems, either acute injuries such as an ACL tear, anterior cruciate ligament tear, uh, patellofemoral uh, joint pain, which I think we're going to focus a, a little bit more on today, uh, knee osteoarthritis, um, just general biomechanically driven knee pain. And I think it's very, very important uh, that we maintain good muscle strength in our lower limbs to help to avoid that, but also just to help us function. You know, we've become very sedentary in our lifestyles uh, in recent years. You know, people drive everywhere. Uh, people uh, people sit down lots and lots. And certainly over the last over the last year during lockdown, you know, people have been sitting at home, not doing a lot, not getting out. And we're not designed to do that. You know, we are not designed. We didn't evolve to sit in front of the telly eating cream cakes and drinking coffee or, or beer. You know, we, we are designed to get up and move and walk around and, uh, you know, go and hunt, hunt wild animals and gather, gather, gather food. Um, and that's what we're designed to do. So therefore, we should do that and we should make sure that we're actually fit enough and strong enough to be able to do that. Um, I think that from a general population point of view is, is very important. And certainly from a, an athletic point of view, uh, if you want to be the best athlete you can, no matter what field you're in, if you're a, obviously if you're a runner, uh, then you've got to make sure that you've got good uh, muscle function, uh, that you're, the, the, the muscles of your lower limb and, and uh, and your trunk and your general general stability muscles within your trunk are a good function. Uh, they're at an optimum level. Uh, if you're a, a team sport player involved a lot, a lot of um, dynamic activities, acceleration, deceleration, uh, jumping, landing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then it's really important uh, that you have the optimum muscle strength, muscle function to allow you to do that. Uh, and one of the things that I'm, I'm sort of keen on is is specificity within that. You know what I mean? That you actually train uh, whichever muscle groups you need. You train those muscle groups to accept the load uh, that that they're going to be exposed to. Okay, so you're actually trained to do your sport. Okay, to allow you to do it to the best the best of your of your capability, really. And that sounds uh, obviously very simple, but the execution of that's a little bit more complicated, of course. So when, when we're looking at then the, the risks of, of lower body strength training, um, what would you say using then your knowledge and experience are then the risks with uh, patterns like squatting uh, and lunging, that kind of thing? How, how does the risk then relate to the reward? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is certainly something that um, – you know, I've, I've discussed at length with uh, with colleagues, with uh, you know, with strength and conditioning coaches, that sort of thing. Um, I'm looking at there's there's two things that you're looking at here. One is that you are trying to improve uh, during a squat. You are trying to improve not just your quadriceps muscles, but predominantly your quadriceps muscles. You're focusing on your quadriceps muscles, but what you're also trying to do is to actually do that to the optimum level so that you don't overload your knee joint and very specifically your patellofemoral uh, joint. So your, uh, your patella is the, is the, uh, the bone that sits at the, uh, the bottom end of your, or your kneecap, uh, sits at the bottom end of your quadriceps muscles. It changes the direction of pull of your quadriceps muscles. It, uh, it gives the quadriceps muscles a greater mechanical advantage so that the quadriceps can function more efficiently and effectively. In order to do that, uh, it gets compressed up against the thigh bone where it sits. It forms a true joint up against the thigh bone. 
okay? And it is designed to accept a lot of compressive load. We think about that load in terms of what we call uh, joint reaction force, okay? The amount of joint reaction force going through the patella, going through the kneecap. Um, and the, what we do know is that that joint reaction force, the deeper we squat, the deeper we lunge, the greater that joint reaction force actually is. So, for instance, um, uh, running, uh, running, we will measure that. There's about seven times body weight, uh, seven times joint reaction force going through the patellofemoral joint. And we think about it in terms of, of body weight. When you do a, a, a deep squat, a really deep squat, that can go, it depends on, the, on the, the research that you read, but that will go anything up to 20 times body weight going through that joint. And that's got to accept 20 times that body weight. I would argue that we're not actually designed to accept that in a, in a, um, in a repeated, repetitive fashion. You know, we're not designed to function down at that level, deep deep squatting. We're designed to function. We're designed to walk around. We're designed to run around. And if you think during the, during during running, um, our knees flexed around about forty five degrees, something of that angle. Okay, and that, and and running is is one of the one of the most um, I suppose stressful activities that we do, uh, repetitive activities that we do for our knee. Then I would argue that. It's not a very sensible idea to expose our knee joints to something that is significantly, significantly greater than that. And that's without, and, and those measurements are without, without putting extra weight on, by the way. Those, are, those measurements that I've, I've quoted there are without putting uh, extra weight onto you, without lifting more weight. So if you're doing a, a deep squat, for instance, with half times your body weight, uh, let's say, for, for example. A lot of people will, will squat with sometimes the, their body weight and, and greater than their body weight. You've then, got to, you've then got to multiply that up by times body weight. Okay, so you, if you've doubled your body weight, for example, then instead of 20 times your body weight in a deep squat, you're now up to 40 times body weight in a deep squat. Uh, and I... I uh, my experience, my experience tells me that that's not a very good idea to do that. So I think what you shouldn't be doing is to be going down into those deep loaded squat positions, unless unless you're doing some sort of sporting activity that requires you to do that. And I go back to what I was saying before about specificity. It's very important that you think about the specific movement patterns that you need to replicate during your sporting activity and you replicate those movement patterns within your training program. If you don't need to squat that low, then why are you going that low during your training? This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymwear. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. And... Uh... What kind of advantages do you see to to going then deeper? Are there, are there particular reasons other than just the fact that it might be more sport specific? Are there particular benefits then to to getting deeper in a squat? 
Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it just makes your quadriceps work harder. Uh, you know, the, the, the deeper you go, then uh, you're going to put more load through your quadriceps. So the training effect that you're having on your quadriceps is greater the lower you go. But you've got to offset that. You know, there's a there's a risk benefit uh, here. So uh, I'm always thinking, and, and because I I see the I see the, the the downside. I see the uh, I see the people who failed, if if you like. Uh, walking through my door, I see them when they've got knee pain, I see them when they've got uh, osteoarthritis of the patellofemoral joint from doing repetitive squatting low, then you've got to balance that off uh, and you've got to make a decision for yourself really as to as to whether or not you feel that's a, a good idea. I think unless you are a, unless you are a, a very specific athlete, yeah, it, 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 essentially it loads your quads a lot more, but I, I think you can load your quads up very, very well without going that low. So what would you then suggest as alternatives? Um, my alternative is that you, um, for instance, one of the, one of the things that I did I, uh, when I knew I was, I was going to make this podcast, I actually Googled how, how to perform a squat, how to perform a squat. Uh, and it was very interesting that um, just about every site that you go on tells you to do a squat, no matter how you're doing that squat, whether you're doing it with a weight or without, they also do it with your thighs parallel to the floor. So you're probably in in the range of what 110, 120 degrees of, of knee flexion uh, at that point. Um, what they then do is return up to a an upright position, okay, and spend time in a fully locked out, fully knee locked out upright position where you're not loading your quadriceps at all. Whenever I'm rehabbing people, what I get them to do is to actually start the squat at about 20 degrees, so that they're, they're you're already uh, you've already loaded your quads up. And I only go down, I get them to go down to about 60 degrees or so of knee flexion and probably do it slower. So I get them to do it as, as a slow rhythmical activity so that you load your quadriceps up. Some people would argue you, you, you can go lower, you can go lower. Um, I think just because I'm nervous and also because I've got patients with some pathology there, I'm always a bit nervous about pushing that too hard. Uh, whether within the, the the healthy population you push that harder, then then that's absolutely fine. Uh, what I would say is that I I actually divorce within my um, within my sort of clinical setting within the rehab that I do with patients. I will actually divorce that final twenty degrees. I'll take that off as a as a separate movement pattern and a separate movement skill. So I'll look at patients. Uh, I'll assess them with uh, with their, how they perform a squat. And I get patients to do single leg squats, I think, rather than doing uh, a lot of double legs. I'm not saying I don't do double legs, but I'll get them to do a lot of single leg squats because from a functional point of view, we spend a lot of time doing single leg loaded knee squatting, okay, when we run, when we walk, when we climb up and down stairs, up and down hills, whatever it may be. We don't do that double leg. We do that single leg. We spend a lot of time in single leg stance doing that. Uh, and you need a lot of stability around the foot and ankle, around the knee, around the hip pelvis in order to do that. So to actually judge that stability and to judge that movement control, I look at patients performing single leg squats um, and, and judge and see what that stability is like. I think it's very important that you look at that terminal um, extension of the knee because we use that an awful lot during normal a normal gait cycle. As we um, go towards uh, uh, terminal swing phase, so when, when our foot isn't on the ground, our knee locks into extension just prior to heel strike. We heel strike with the knee in extension, and then we go into 
a knee flex position. As we get in the mid stance, the knee then goes back towards terminal extension and then it starts to go back to flexion. So our knee starts in an extended or locked position, flexes, goes back towards extension and then flexes again. That happens twice every time we put our foot on the floor. So I think it's very important that we actually assess that movement skill and see where the patients, see where the people can actually perform that adequately. Do they have good control over that very specific movement skill that they are carrying out a lot during the course of a normal day or not? If they don't, then that's something that I think we've got to work on and work on that separately from performing squat exercises where your focus is more on uh, yes, your focus is still on, on movement control, but your focus is more on loading the muscle to actually strengthen the muscle, however you wish to do that. I think that's, uh, that's super interesting. And I just want to touch on whether there's any further science backing up um, that uh, there are the particular injuries or damage to joints uh, through deeper squatting. Um, so is there, is there any more evidence outside of uh, what you've already mentioned, which, which then backs that up? Um, I'm, I'm not aware of, of lots of evidence that, that significantly backs that up. But I, I, what I would say is that uh, when you look at the, uh, certainly within my field, within the field of physiotherapy, the general advice that you, that you get is to avoid doing deep squats with people because of um, the joint reaction force, because of the increased load that you put through the patellofemoral joint. Um uh, there's a, a physiotherapist uh, called Chris Powers. I think he's American who did a, a nice, a nice paper back in 2014, looking at patients with patellofemoral joint pain. And okay, these are patients with pathology. And his advice uh, is not to squat below 45 degrees um, because of the amount of load that you're putting through the patellofemoral joint. Cool. So when you when you put all of this information together, and you're going to then uh, start to work with someone. Um, how would then you go about strengthening the lower body? What's your, if you could put that into a case study or some practical uh, training advice, how do you then put all of that together? Yeah, sure. So I I think it's really important that we, you know, that we, we break up each of the, each of the lower limb, uh, segments into their sort of anatomical parts and then, uh, you know, put them together. So look at the foot ankle, uh, look at the knee look at the hip pelvis and also the trunk look at how each of those individual joints uh move how they function so they do they have normal functional range of movement um do they have um deficits strength deficits that we need to work on so what i would do is actually look at foot and ankle look at the strength deficits there look at um uh you know obviously it's it's very important um uh, for most athletic activities, that we have, uh, you know, good plantar flexion that we can actually push off. We can provide a good spring, a good platform to propel us forward. So, you know, is is a patient able to perform calf raises adequately, single leg calf raises adequately? And I, I, I personally break them up into uh, lower control, slow lower control calf raises. So um, I, I I always term them um, I always term them one inch one inch calf raises. Can they just control their heel just up off the floor, which is the sort of the thing that the the need for just normal day to day functional activity. Can they perform a, a faster 
uh, calf raised through range, yes or no. And it's very interesting. Some of the patients that I get through with biomechanically driven knee pain um, that you'll get, say if it's a unilateral problem, um, you know, you look at their, their ability to perform a calf raise. I had a patient uh, a few weeks ago. She was um, she was a lady in her in her early forties who was a who was a runner with with knee pain, and this woman could barely perform six calf raises um, on her affected side. She was so weak on that affected side. That's that's just with the calf. So I I I, I look at that from a from a knee point of view. Um, as I say, I tend to do a lot of single leg um, a single leg squats. Um, I get patients to do those uh, more dynamically as we go along. I'm not against using um, uh, things like, uh, you know, quads benches, leg press machines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think good technique with those is very important. Um, I'm not against using using squats to uh, to strengthen up and, and squats with weights to, to, to strengthen the, the, uh, the quadriceps either. Uh, and I don't want to sort of create that impression that you know we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing that, and it very much depends on what the what the patient is doing. Um, but I, I I do get patients to do a lot of squats, a lot of single leg squats, single leg squats with weights as well. Uh, I get them to um, uh, do squats off a off a step, single leg squats off a step, so that they uh, they're standing sideways on the step, if you like, so that if you're doing a right leg squat, you've got your left leg hanging off the step. Stick a weight in your left hand just to increase that that uh, that lever arm that you're having to work hard on. You, you will also start to work muscles around the hip and the pelvis. So certainly your hip rotators, your hip abductors, by doing that, and I think working them in a very functional fashion um, that double leg squats don't do. And we need that stability around our hip and pelvis in order to allow us to, um, as previously said, allow, allow us to ambulate correctly. Uh, just to walk correctly, we do if we're walking long distances, but certainly from a running point of view, to provide that stable platform around the hip and pelvis. Okay, so you've got to get a good, strong, stable uh, platform around the foot and ankle. That's really important. Yes, around the knee. Make sure that your uh, your quadriceps, your uh, your hamstrings, uh, certainly in physiotherapy, because we'll get patients with injuries with pathology. We'll measure them to the to the opposite side, to the contralateral side, and we'll make sure that we try to even uh, that strength up. Okay, so it's, uh, we'll measure them using uh, um, uh, using the machines in the in the gym, quads benches, leg press, uh, leg press, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we'll also look at their dynamic movement stability, dynamic control, and normalise that as well. Um, I'll I'll build in. Uh, as you go along, as you as you improve the strength, I'll build in single leg balance. So you'll use things like balance boards, getting patients to stand on a on a trampoline, getting to you know throw a ball at the wall, that sort of thing. So you, you are you, you're actually working on a lot of dynamic control, dynamic stability of the lower limb. And so you're putting all of those things together, okay. And then what you, I would personally do is get them to do uh, more dynamic impact work so getting to start to jog getting to start to do jumps on the spot single hops on the spot um hop for distance hop side to side um do uh, ladder hops all sorts of things like that uh, and depending on the patient you might progress them on uh, certainly if you've got somebody who's involved in uh, you know if you've got a volleyball player or a basketball player or something like that you, you're going to be a later stage doing even more dynamic strength work with those patients uh but we don't get too many of those coming through uh in the nhs really to be quite honest with you yeah 
that's, uh, that's understandable as well. I'm sure they have uh, their own physios who can uh, provide them maybe more attention than the NHS can uh, unfortunately pay for. But um, that was absolutely excellent. So in terms of our last question, uh, it's, the, it's the most difficult question that we can think of. And that is, what is the one thing that you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? That's a very good question. Um, I, I think it's I think it's dynamic control. I think the just dynamic control that you look at. Um, I think if, do a single leg squat. Can you perform a single leg squat? Do it if if you're if you're a patient, uh, if you're just a, somebody who's doing exercise. Look in a mirror. Can you perform a single leg squat? Does it look smooth? Does it look even? Do it slow. Only do it to about sort of 30, 40 degrees, something of that, without lifting your arms to the side. Do it with your arms folded so that you're not using your arms for balance. Can you actually perform that squat properly, yes or no? If you can't, then you've really got to practice that. You've got to practice that dynamic, dynamic control. Absolutely fantastic. Steve, master, thanks for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Steve for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really enjoyed it and I hope you did at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our seven-day free trial of the Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken into bite-sized chunks. So of particular interest in the last week or so has been our hypertrophy lecture. So if you want to check that one out, it's fantastic content broken into tiny bite-sized chunks, which you can fit in and around your busy coaching schedule. So all you have to do is click that one in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That means that you won't miss out on next week's fantastic episode. And of course, means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests with the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.